0: What do you guys think the value of routine is? Ooh. It ties in closely with um, with a lot of the themes that we've covered. And I think it can be a very divisive issue. Like a lot of people just swear by it, you know, make your bed every morning kind of stuff. And other people are just very
1: much fly by the seat of your pants, like spontaneity is king. I've never seen a point to making a bed, and I never will. <laughs> um When I went back to (laughs) school after dropping out for a little while, I remember going for a walk one night and wondering, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to do all of this? Because I was a very busy, busy person as it was. I had a a few different jobs, one of which was being a news reporter. So that was all my writing time. And if I needed to then spend more writing time on academic papers, then I didn't see how I was going to do that. So I determined on this walk that the only way I was going to make this work was if I became the kind of person who kept a calendar, which I've never done. And at the start of every single school year, that tends to be how I feel. And I'm going in with a fresh notebook and bag full of pencils. And I'm like, this is it. This is when I get my shit together. And, <laughs> you know, it's going to be on point. And then a couple weeks in, I just always realized that I thrive on chaos. And that's not always healthy and maybe that's even symptomatic of workaholism to to an extent but i think i've always done things impulsively but that means that i always do them when i have the space for them in my mind and i and for me creating the space for them has never been about carving out the time it's always been about like just feeling out what feels like a priority for me right now what seems important right now and my brain doesn't work the same way as other people's brains do, who might thrive off of keeping a schedule like that. But I think it has to do a lot with like what you've been conditioned to do, how good your executive function is, how much of a guarantee you can make that any time you carve out for a routine will be the time that works best for that routine. But it all kind of will butt up against your own proclivities and your own sensitivities and your own abilities, depending on who you are and, and, and how your brain functions best. That's my thoughts on routine.
2: Joel, I've got a really quick question actually. Sure. In high school, <laughs> how often did you do homework? <laughs> was it like you did something, did it all the time or was it like the select assignments, but the select assignments when you did do it, they were perfect. Immaculate.
1: I was a voracious reader. Uh And it was almost never the assigned reading. (laughs) So no, I didn't do homework. Well, I think it depends what the routine means to you, too. Like some people, it's a sort of a cage or
0: it's something, not even a cage in a bad way, but just it's a shelter. It's something to like exist within and it confines you. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's not. And other people, I think it's just a... It's a tool. It's the same way people look at phones and stuff sometimes. Like sometimes it's your life force. It's like a freaking limb. Like it's just something that extends from you. And other times it's just the most powerful tool in the world. And I've really found that I like I used to be a more spontaneous person, but like lately I've I've really started to see the value in kind of having a, a loose enough routine that shit can like wiggle around a little bit in between waypoints, but rigid enough that I can like I can depend on a few steady things throughout the day. And I don't really know where that came from. I, I Sometimes I have a theory that it just came from like the chaos of like playing music and stuff. Like just some of those, I don't know. Like Ian, do you have any like rituals or like any like set up breakdown routines? Like when you do sound, I think mine came from stuff like that.
2: I mean, honestly, there is no routine. Everything's flying by the seat of my pants at all times. <laughs> uh Just, uh, Yeah, it's just kind of figuring out as it goes along and um, trying to schedule what I can out of it. You know, when I was running live stream shows here, the only thing I could really control is people's start times. And even that was in flux. (laughs) But I mean, even like
0: when you're in it, you know, like, like, do you have an order for like how you turn shit on, how you like pack stuff up, like anything you do internally that like, this is the order you break down? a PA that kind of stuff
2: I mean you know professionally when I'm out there being part of big jobs that you know require everyone to be on the same page yes definitely always following the order but you know on jobs where it's literally just me in this room trying to tear down a kit and get all the mics like struck all the stands struck all the coils wrapped Anything can happen in a million different orders because <laughs> yeah. I have horrible ADHD. I've been battling since I was a child and you know, that probably feeds into it a little bit.
0: No, but you're also like the most efficient, organized person I've ever fucking worked with. Like it's uh, that's why I ask. Cause like, like, especially when we toured together, like you would be the guy to pack the van and it was unbelievable how smoothly that went every time or how the setup went. So it's just, it's one of those things like it's cool as hell that you can come at it from an approach of kind of self-managed chaos, you know, like, cause it gets to a really good destination.
2: I think the fact that, um, even though with ADHD, if you can have one thing to focus on and that's like your bread and butter, the heart and soul, the end result in front mm. of you and nothing else, you can do that end result in a million different directions, but you're still reaching that end result Regardless of how How many turns you had to take along the way Or when the turns were If that makes any mm. sense whatsoever yeah. yeah Different strokes Different strokes for different folks <laughs> Heard way too much of that one God help me <laughs> that, was, that was a very oddest moment That was <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: Okay, so I want to revisit some of the beginner's mind stuff, okay. um, because long ago, when we were talking to Ian and Trevor about workaholism, we were talking about routine very briefly. It didn't make it into the episode, but I'm going to include that clip in this, so okay. that we can kind of juxtapose what I guess specifically how I felt about routine then versus how I'm starting to feel about routine now. And since talking to Dickens about beginner's mind, I'm allowing myself to experiment with more like, what am I missing out on? Mm -hmm. What do I think I know that I don't know? You know, and like, what, what should I be experimenting with? What should I be trying out right now that may benefit me? So I've been experimenting with routine Yeah, and it's doing a lot of great things for me. And I find that like the biggest reason that I am like, that I've always been kind of averse to routine is that it doesn't necessarily leave room for impulsivity all the time. But yeah. I think there's an art to structuring your day or structuring your week in a way that leaves room for the impulsivity. So especially mm-hmm. like as a creative person, I need the chance for art to kind of like overflow spontaneously. So taking yeah. the spontaneity out of it is a risky thing for me. But I found that like building the spontaneity into routine is becoming something that I'm, I'm learning how to do.
0: That's always I've liked looking at routine as like a container a lot mm-hmm. of times as opposed to the I don't know the contents like you know it, it's the kind of thing where like I've I've had a lot of success just bracketing out my day in certain ways so like there's say like I've been doing yoga lately and it's not always the same like practice each time mm-hmm. but I block out like whatever twenty minutes every morning or every night to do it yeah and I've found that like the sort of meta routine of that like having this sort of blank box that I gotta fill in that's the part that's valuable to me but I would start right. to feel really trapped really fast if it had to be the same exact practice every single day at 7pm like that's where that would drive me crazy so I found that not tightly scheduling everything yeah, except for maybe a few things and not dictating what has to happen within those lines unless it's somehow beneficial um, Yeah, that's where routine really is valuable
1: to me that's where I'm finding a lot of that flexibility is I've We've talked about this off mic, but like I've been using a habit tracker. Yes. Yeah. And so my habits are worded pretty v- like vaguely enough that I can mm. follow the rule and track the habit and get in like the, I schedule an amount of time for each thing per week. So it's two hours of exercise, two hours of playing guitar, two hours of um, reading. Mm. So two hours a week for these habits that I'm trying to build. And then I'm also going to like schedule when I clean and what I clean. Um, so that I'm not sort of like putzing about the house, like tidying things up, like no schedule a day when you can tidy things up and then that's going to free you up for the rest of the time. But so for instance, like that two hours of and playing guitar for two hours a week is actually what I've been having the hardest time achieving. Hmm. So like, why do you think that is? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like unless I'm at a band practice or demoing out songs at home and like actually playing with a purpose, I'm having a hard time picking up the guitar to just play. Um, But that's part of that spontaneity that's supposed to be built into this habit tracking thing. Because if I'm supposed to be picking up a guitar just to play, then I'm going to be improvising or I'm going to be like playing old riffs that I've written that are not for finished songs. And then maybe I pick up the guitar and finish a song. I sent you a demo the other day. That was exactly, that was the case. Like I just started playing an older riff and it immediately just came to me like, oh, this is what this song should be. So like building in the spontaneity to that part of the scheduling or that part of the habit tracking has so far like already been really beneficial and it's keeping me on track to, keep up these habits again playing guitar is the harder one to keep up for some reason yeah but I'm holding myself accountable to it or trying to and um it's not a kind of structure that, I, that feels limiting to me at all simply because I put everything under vague terms and to fulfill yeah. a certain goal like it isn't that hard because you can do a number of different versions of that goal
0: well that's that flexibility is really important I think it reminds yeah. me of a thing I learned like just kind of over the course of like having a couple of like small businesses over the years, I learned that you don't, there's a lot of stuff you don't want to plan for uh, as your best day. Like you want to plan for things kind of on your worst day. Yeah. And in a way, like that makes everything a little less satisfying. Like when you complete the stuff on your to-do list or your routine or whatever, it's like you don't feel like you've accomplished 100% necessarily. But I started to realize like there's a value in that like this shouldn't be 100% because there's going to be days where I don't have 600% worth of time right, to do all six of these things. I need to make sure each of these things is at least 20, though, because that's when the backslide starts to happen if I don't accomplish that. So I kind of like found that certain things, leaving stuff vague enough or leaving stuff a little bit loose enough allows for that elasticity. Like It allows for you to say, like, oh, shit, I'm having a ton of fun playing guitar today. I'm going to play for five hours, and then tomorrow... I might not want to play at all, but I'm still going to play it for the 10 minutes or whatever. Like, you know, you, you sort of, like, it averages out to your goal. And if you keep that goal or that routine centered around those averages as opposed to your most idealized versions of those goals, then you keep yourself from going nuts and you allow yourself to, like, adapt a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. it's the worst thing is when you start, like, you know, punishing yourself. Like, when you you don't hit... A goal and it feels bad and then you don't hit another one and then you don't and all of a sudden you just kind of start feeling like a piece of shit and like i can't do any of this and then <laughs> you wander for a while and then eventually you come back around to some version of it again it's just like if you keep those circles really tight where like you miss a mark but you miss it by an inch instead of a foot yeah. you can recalculate so i don't know i think there's a lot of value to that because when things get too too rote Mm-hmm. every morning you wake up and you see your itinerary like that's great for some people but I think a lot of people it adds to the stress
1: yeah it would definitely add to the stress for me and like I haven't you know there have been weeks when I've when I've missed the goal and I don't hold it against myself I'm just like well things came up you know last yeah. week I, I only completed my exercising goal but last mm-hmm. week my house was under construction yeah so, <laughs> like I didn't really feel i was it was driving me crazy I didn't feel like comfortable enough at home to to sit down and, and play guitar or read or anything. Like, it just made me exhausted hearing yeah. all the noise all the time. So, uh, but the thing that I found was, like, exercising. And you are talking about, like, doing the same yoga poses day after day. Like, that does sound stressful. Mm. And I've thought about making an exercise schedule for myself. And I keep thinking that I shouldn't because I don't want like, whenever something becomes too rigorous, that's when I bail on it. And that's kind of what we're talking about is, like, yeah. If there's too much structure to the routine or the goal is too measured yeah, or too exact, then, like, why would I invite the strike against myself? Yeah. So that's why I restructured all those things. But I have been thinking about that I should write down what I do day to day. Yeah. Because, like, what the exercises that I decide to do always have something to do with rehabbing my knee. But can go beyond that as well so it's it's any number of things and i decide rather impulsively but i I never do the same thing that i did the day before Mm -hmm. but aside from that it's like pretty random how i decide what i do yeah so i've been wondering like should i start writing it down to keep track of what i'm most most likely to do and then i'll be able to see on paper what i'm missing and yeah like a new thing that i should invite into that
0: that's really neat because that's i feel like that's part of why it's so easy to fail when you start quantifying a lot of stuff at the same time because it seems like that's the most surefire way to accomplish some goals like you just sort of like set parameters you measure everything out that can be measured and then that's your benchmark and like that is a way to do certain things but i think unless you have like a really solid destination in mind that requires incremental steps Like, say, like, you know, whenever I go down those rabbit holes and start watching, like, the Mount Everest documentaries, like, there's (laughs) always... Someone will say, like, they'll put up, like, there's one really good one called Everest for Mountaineers, and he actually opens it with... or not opens, but it's in the beginning. He shows his spreadsheet for, like, 18 months or two years or something of, like, going from just base conditioning to, like, we're now at base camp. And I feel like that's an important thing. Like, there are certain goals where you have a very definitive endpoint even if it's not the end of that process like there is at least a, a benchmark that you have to be a certain amount of skilled to hit yeah and at that point it's worth quantifying because if anything you're just subdividing the time between you and that thing. but if you're just saying like I want to start exercising, you don't know the terrain yet necessarily you don't know what kind of stuff you're going to really like you don't know what kind of stuff you're not going to like or what times a day or you know what stimuli might be really bad for when you're you know might not want to do it or something like so i think there's a hell of a lot to be learned from kind of hammering at it and just giving yourself again like that bare minimum of just like i'm just going to make sure i do this this amount of times it could be a bike it could be a walk it could be push-ups it could be a run but like but also debriefing and saying like, all right, like where do things sort of cluster? I did a similar thing with, um, setting weekly goals. I was just noticing like, what if I try to do, there was like a couple months where I got really into like smart goals and stuff. Yeah. And so I started making like, what if I can just plan out, these are the things I want to get from the week, anything else can happen, but these are like major points I want to hit. But then after the week, I'll keep like an overflow list of like things that I had on my to-do list for the week, but I didn't do. And then every few weeks, I'm going to look at that overflow list and see, do any things roll over or are there patterns that emerge? And I started noticing like there were certain things that were just in no way going to happen. I put them on there because I wanted them to happen in my life. But like I was not putting in the steps. I wasn't setting aside the time. Like there was just no reasonable expectation that I would actually accomplish some of those things. Mm -hmm. And there were other things that I noticed I accomplished right off the bat and I was like "All right, well I can look at it now and see like that's where my heart was I just didn't know it because I was in it and it just felt natural and then this other thing that I thought was where my heart was is actually a huge pain in my ass right now and I don't (laughs) want to do it at all and it was like so liberating and just helped me to I don't know see my life with a little bit more nuance and see some contour that I didn't know was there and my god that made stuff easier to schedule Mm -hmm. and just made it' a lot easier to focus my energy on, the stuff that I should be. Yeah. It's not perfect yet, but like, Jesus, since that day, things have gotten so much better in that respect.
1: Now, in a similar vein, it's not exactly the same as that, but a few months ago, I had challenged you to write down everything you do from yeah. day to day. This is something that I had to do when it felt like I had no free time and no alone time because my job had me on call a lot. So it, it always felt like I was on other people's time. Mm. And if only to show myself on paper that I did have free time and prove to myself that I had some agency that I didn't feel like I had. Yeah. I decided that every day I would not set a schedule for myself or make a to do list or anything. It was just kind of like, go about your day the way that you normally would. But every mm-hmm. time you start a new task, like first it might be cooking breakfast, then it might be showering, and then it might be sitting down at the desk to do some editing, then it might be, you know, whatever. But write down as soon as you start any new activity and write down the start time. And then when you stop, write down the end time. And then yeah. whatever you start doing next, write that down too, as well as the start time. And the caveat was that every single day I had to write down rest and relaxation at some point in the day for like a half hour to an hour, yeah. preferably not at the computer because I can sit down and quote unquote relax and watch YouTube videos, but if I'm at a computer, I will open up <laughs> some kind some project file and just start working impulsively so <laughs> Um, but I had to show myself on paper that I did have free time. And I had to show myself when I was more likely to take the free time so that I was aware of it. And all this data is kind of lost now. Um, it was a It was a temporary fix to a problem that I felt. And the problem was that I didn't feel like I had enough control over my introvert time. So I fixed the problem. So anyway. Uh, you being a workaholic needed a challenge, and <laughs> I, I yeah. challenged you to do that. So you did it for a full week, right? Yeah. And you found?
0: I liked it, man. It was it was cool, and it was harder than I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah I, uh, I found that there was a very predictable point in my day yeah. where things would start to really just drop off. It was weird. It was like the parts of the day where I was kind of, I felt like I didn't have any free time or I didn't have any me time or anything. I was just banging stuff out. Yeah. And 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 it was more fulfilling. Um, and then it would get to this point where I thought, all right, now I have this blank slate, like usually around like eight o'clock or so. It's like my day sort of like just expands a little bit more. And uh, I was just so tired regularly by that point that I noticed like the times were getting further apart. And mm-hmm. like one thing I noticed was I just wasn't eating at any point in this. I was <laughs> like, well, good God, maybe have lunch. That'll maybe help. <laughs> and, uh, so I learned so many stupid little things like that, like just things that throughout the day I, I didn't consider cause I yeah. wasn't feeling like a, you know, pointed urge to like have a meal or something, but realize like, oh, but I have more energy. I work like crazy for three straight hours right after breakfast. Yeah. And then I don't do shit for six. So like, yeah, I don't know. I learned a lot of stuff like that. Um, I learned that the same as you were saying, like the, the me time, uh, was harder to schedule than I thought because a lot of times it was sitting in front of the computer or doing something that I thought was like, I don't know, refreshing in some way, but in reality it was just pointless. (laughs) It was just Mm -hmm. a meaningless thing. It wasn't a like recharge. And, uh, I, yeah, that was really hard to focus on that, like to actually carve out that time and to actually allow myself to have it. Mm. It took some doing. Yeah. I don't know that I got there within a week, but I definitely noticed where that problem
1: was. Uh, when I did it, it was a few months before, I think, a few months before we um, we talked to Dickens that first time about cross-discipline. Yeah. And I remember saying something like, uh, to me, a cross-discipline doesn't have to be a discipline. Like, what I specifically need is something to take me out of the analytical brain. <laughs> Something, yeah. something to take me away from executive function so it's like that really narrows down what free time can be as well like what that me time can be used for because yeah, yeah you can use your introvert time to play guitar but then as soon as you start writing a song <laughs> then it becomes <laughs> um then it becomes an, an analytical thing and then it becomes like a more of a deliberate activity and what i find i need to recharge is nothingness Mm. and that's really hard for me to achieve because i'm always very analytical about stuff so i don't know i think i think i need i still need more of that and i'm not sure how to schedule that and maybe i should try that exercise again actually but yeah that's so that like as far as the habit tracker stuff goes, like I've been scheduling things that I need to get better at, yeah. but not scheduling things that are restorative. And I think that's kind of the that that's probably why it <laughs> is still difficult for me to pick up a guitar and mm. start writing or or just practice or improvise or, or anything, because it it often does not feel restorative to me. It often doesn't feel like uh, like it feels like work. You know. Yeah. Like the, the improvising part of it is the part that doesn't feel analytical. Yeah. But that means that I need to make a habit of improvising on the guitar. And maybe yeah. that's the way that I need to structure it. <laughs> it's like Yeah. Or, or or schedule it. Pick up a guitar with no ambition. Pick up a guitar with no intent to practice or write. But yeah. just noodle around. You know? Yeah. Maybe that's the way to do it. But yeah, I don't know. So that's the the overall broader issue here is that I, I don't take time to, I take time to feel what, to do what feels like relaxing or should on the surface <laughs> feel like relaxing. But it yeah. can very easily turn into, um, nope, I'm using my brain too much.
0: Well, it's hard if you enjoy it too. Like that's sort of that fine line between enjoying that type of mindset that you can get, like that really analytical (laughs) mindset, but also that it just takes energy. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really, I have a lot of trouble with that, like around workaholism in general, because like, I really like it. Like when I'm at my most workaholic, it, it tires me out. I mean, it's like the way I like exercising, but like at a certain point, I'm just out of whatever I need. Mm -hmm. to be full of Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh (laughs) it's the same way with emotional or cognitive energy i mean you just reach a point where you're depleted and that's i I think that's an important way to reframe that restorative time is that you are trying to restore your energy whatever type it might be Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that like this has to be like a mindless nothing time If, if you want it to be it can be obviously but like not really putting that pressure that, like, I have to... It's like, say, like, meditating, you know? Like, that pressure that you have to sit there cross-legged and, and think of nothing for an hour and a half every day, and that's right. the only way you can find peace. Some people is just going on a drive yeah, and just allowing their head to clear. And yeah. there's if you find, like, that tweaked version of it that works for you or that, you know, allows you to idle but not necessarily shift into a more dangerous gear, that could also be really really healthy. Like, I, I get significantly more stressed and significantly more tired if I schedule in actual nothing time. Yeah. I go insane. Like, I just start hating myself because <laughs> I'm like, I've, I've done nothing with my life. What am I, <laughs> why am I sitting around? <laughs> and then I start making up shit to do. And then it's like, I'm 10 times as tired as I would have been if I just gave myself, like, a very low-level thing to do. That's why, like, during the summer, I like cutting the lawn and stuff because mm. it takes zero cognitive energy A little bit of physical energy, but ultimately it's kind of whatever. Some days it's drudgery, but I'll listen to a nice book on tape or something, and I'll just cruise through it. And Other days I'm getting creative with the patterns I'm cutting and all this, but regardless, it's stuck within the confines of this pretty menial task. I can't get more creative than cutting the lawn, but within that I can do it however I want.
1: Yeah, I've felt that with so many things too. I I like how this is um, relating to meditation. Because, like, Mm. the reason that so many people can't – or one of the reasons that people have a hard time getting into meditation is that, like, is the same issue where, like, relaxing isn't supposed to be (laughs) process-oriented. And meditation is not supposed to be process-oriented. So, like, a lot of people will say that they don't like group meditation or guided meditation because, like, what am I doing following instructions when I'm supposed to be clearing my mind? Like, that seems completely counterintuitive. And I would agree that, like, that's probably – for some people, maybe that's good for them. I'm not sure. But for me, like it seems too counterintuitive to associate relaxation with a process that I'm supposed to be following or a goal that I'm supposed to be meeting. So with the exception, of, I mean, like that exercise, writing down what you do every day, that was an exercise. It was to see where my free time could go. But again, it wasn't a schedule. It wasn't a to-do list. It was a, let's do this for a week or two or however long and make sure that there is on paper a time that I can relax every day. But it was, it wasn't really scheduled around anything. It wasn't an agenda and it wasn't an instruction. So I think that's something that a lot of people have problems with. It's like so much of our day ends up being scheduled for us and like our, our breaks at work are scheduled very tightly. You know, against yeah. each other. And like, I think people have a hard time breaking out of that. Where, like, when, so even when you go to relax, it feels like it's something that you have to schedule or something that you have to like tightly hold on to because it's such a, such a limited time that you can relax. Yeah. So that like you want to plan something to do during that yeah. time to make the most yeah. of it and <laughs> savor it. Yeah. And then it doesn't feel like relaxing so much anymore. Sure. Some people must be better at it, but (laughs) to me, like that's, that's the issue that I kind of have is like, if I really have the alone time and the me time to, to savor, I want to savor it. And I want to plan what I'm going to do to make that period of time worth it. Yeah. But then putting pressure on that (laughs) is the wrong move and giving yourself an instruction to follow when you're supposed to be relaxing is probably the wrong move. Yeah, because there's,
0: like, an undeniable sense of scarcity to that. Yeah. Even, like, I think, like, you and I have definitely flirted with um, self-employment more than some. But I I wonder sometimes, even if it's just out of that culture of, like, you literally have to select which small window of personal time you're going to get to take away from your job. And you have to justify it somehow, because this Uh is, like, the six hours that I get, like... I don't know. It, it's a sort of a toxic mindset around just <laughs> taking me time. Yeah. And, uh, there's a million different ways that it is toxic, but uh, like for me, it's, it's almost kind of a, a broader sense of that too. Like around the me time and around just how I spend my quote unquote productive time. Cause mm-hmm. I really, really hate other people making my schedule for me. Like I, I function really well in a self-employed setting. Like I'm good at carving out my own day and everything. like, That's just when I'm like the least stressed out, the most productive. I feel the most like myself. It's just something I've really valued. So I've always had this kind of like, you know, this specter looming over me of like, well, if I can't succeed at this, Mm. then someone else is going to do this for me. Yeah. So it makes me feel like I have to doubly justify any amount of time that I'm taking away from that. Because there is absolutely no reference point to Mm -hmm. like, see if I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And you only find out after the fact if you succeed or fail or blow whatever job you're working and whatever, and it's uh, I don't know, it's insane. Mm. It shouldn't be that hard to just take a few minutes.
1: Well, since this topic is so adjacent to workaholism, yeah, have you thought? At all about like, is there a difference between workaholism and like startup mentality? Like as you're talking about running small businesses, every time you're talking about like being self-employed and like you read a lot about startup mentality and how like it's just go, 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 go for the first few months of that funding because then you have to prove that it's worth the second round of funding. Yeah. And it becomes a workaholic environment for a lot of startup companies because they have to generate that fervor and that excitement in order for the company to show that it can flourish you know you have to have a happy and productive at once happy and productive somehow (laughs) Uh, (laughs) employee base so that you can show potential and um, I've never been a part of a startup company but like my aversion to routine as I was saying in the beginning is that it can so easily be confused with stagnation if you don't engage with routine properly. Yeah. So for me, like so much of the time that I, ha- that I get excited about a new project or a new song that I'm writing or a new anything, I need, again, the impulsivity. And yeah, I might become a little bit of a workaholic about it because it's exciting to me and I want to get it done and I'm curious about where it'll go and... Again, like it's an it's an impassioned and impulsive thing and I work well with that mentality. But that's to me more of a startup mentality. More of a like, let's prove this thing's worth and make it as good as it can. Yeah. So that I can hype it up and get other people interested in it and and whatever. That's more of a startup mentality than a workaholic mentality to me. Yeah. And I think I, I try to like maintain that kind of excitement as much as I can rather than, mm. like, always be at the grind.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, I don't know if I'm always good at doing one or the other, and probably sometimes they get a little bit woven together Yeah, in unhealthy ways. But have you ever thought about that, like, kind of trying to differentiate, like, what is, what, what is symptomatic of my workaholism and what is my, like, startup excitement?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I just – I think it comes down to it's the same – set of tendencies or the same set of behaviors or whatever, but one of them, like one of them's caused by like contextual things and one of them's caused by dispositional things. Mm. And to me, the, the workaholism is, is dispositional. Whereas the startup mentality is contextual because it ends, you know, like eventually you stop being a startup. You stop needing to pull all nighters and all that kind of shit all the time. And, uh, yeah, I have thought about it a lot of times in, in terms of whether or not any of these things ever work out, like any of these things that I'm doing now that are making me a workaholic now, if one of them actually like worked eventually, then yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd still be a workaholic. I might just be happy. Yeah. So i reserve room for that, but like, yeah, it, it does feel kind of different. And I have seen like, um, one thing I was doing a few years ago, like I saw it kind of shift, like the first few months of it were a lot of all-nighters, a lot of like late night powwows, you know, talking on the phone and trying to brainstorm stuff and a lot of meetings and driving and spending a ton of money we didn't have, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then that slowly kind of faded into a rhythm. And I noticed my feelings about it fade as well. Like it changed to like, I didn't lose interest in it. It just, I downshifted and I was still pretty content with that. So I think for me personally the workaholism comes from the idea that there always has to be something going on that I am excited about yeah. but I don't need to be constantly working at like top level like all nighters every single night only sleep 3 hours a night like I miss important events cuz I'm on a meeting like I enjoy that when I do have that but I don't think I need that to live mm-hmm. and to me that type of stuff is where the holism of workaholism kind of happens right Because like I said on the other episode about it, like it's very close to like alcoholism, you know? Like if you go on like a six week U.S. tour and you're drinking your ass off every night and then you come home and you stop, you're not necessarily an alcoholic, you're living like one. But if you go on a six week U.S. tour and you drink your ass off every night and you were doing it before
1: and you were doing it after and if you stop, you might die. Then yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a different thing. Look into that. Yeah. But, yeah, so in the same sense, like um, it's sort of playing the lottery a little bit. It's sort of like putting your eggs in so many baskets and hoping that one of them gets delivered to <laughs> someone who's going to want more eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I, I always say that I put too much pressure on myself. Like th- the reason that I do exhibit traits of workaholism is that I put a lot of pressure on myself to, like, if I do something well enough. And the right person notices, then suddenly I'm in business with somebody who's like beneficial to know. Mm. Or suddenly I'm partnered up with a label or it could end up being a profitable venture if I do my best and someone notices that I'm doing my best and Mm. someone wants to work with me further on like capitalizing on something, you know? Um, Yeah. The the irony being that when I ran a venue, <laughs> and it was an underground venue, I would have turned away anybody who like pitched an idea to me, and like <laughs> wanted to wanted to like put money into it. Yeah. But aside from that, like you know, if somebody offered me a record deal, I would probably take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if somebody wanted to like buy the rights to some of my songs, I'd probably eh, I'd, I'd probably tell them to fuck off. But. <laughs> There's are some things I'm very protective of and I I want to like keep them my own. Um, yeah. And there are some things that I'm like, yes, this is what I'm going to put all the effort in in case somebody wants to buy it. Mm-hmm. And then it has to be a quality product when they make that offer. You know what I yeah. mean? So in that way, you do that with enough things and with enough goals in mind and with enough potential ventures that can come of it, yeah. then... You're putting your eggs in a lot of baskets. You're kind of playing the lottery in hopes that something works out well enough so that you don't have to do a dozen things anymore. You can do one really well or have done one really well and then you can kind of reap the rewards of it. Um, And then it's off your plate. Yeah. So in that sense, like tempering, that sort of like very loose goal setting where it's like I can have a number of different things going on at once. I don't know which one of them is the most worthwhile. Yeah. So all I can do is give my all to every one of them. Yeah. And then that's going to be very taxing on me. (laughs) Yeah. But it's with the hope that that thing can sustain me and sustain my livelihood for a little bit longer so that I have to work less hard on the other things. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. That's, that's always been a difficult thing for me to, to shake. Mm. It's like, the workaholism exists because of, I want to eventually not have to work as hard.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I get that though, dude. That's yeah. why. Have you ever read um, The Four Hour Workweek? No. A Tim Ferriss book? It sort of articulated a lot of things that I've always felt around that, where like I've just always liked the idea of being a polymath in the least pretentious way that a person could say that. But like, you know, just the idea that you can just try stuff and you can do a bunch of things kind of like the beginner's mind thing that you can be yeah sort of roughly qualified to do a ton of different things so that anytime you want to like switch gears or anytime you want to meet a new social set or whatever like you're ready to pivot you're ready to learn something or whatever and that book was partially about that in a lifestyle sense but it was also about that if you were founding a startup and how you could do that in such a way that initially yeah, you're a workaholic, like you're busting ass to try to make this thing a real thing. But then eventually, I think he called it going from being a founder-oriented business to a process-oriented business, mm. where like your own role isn't that you're the one dude at the assembly line, like throwing together all the products. It's like eventually you keep zooming out and out and out by automating the right processes, by hiring the right people when you're you know, eligible to do so, so that eventually you get to a point where you're at the tip of the pyramid, and you can kind of modulate your own involvement and that leaves you free to move to other ventures kind of like laterally or just try entirely different things, but the business doesn't crumble. And he laid out a pretty cool set of strategies, I thought, to, to get there. But that always really appealed to me, that idea that like, yeah, you can work less hard eventually on something, but it's not because that thing is failing. It's because like it's working and yeah. it's almost like putting out an album like you've you had the really nitty-gritty phase of it and then you push it out there and now it's there for you to listen to it's there for other people to listen to but you can move on to other other stuff and mm-hmm. maybe that's why that appeals to me too because it's probably the only way i've ever learned how to frame progress or productivity but yeah that just seems really cool so i, I do i understand that yeah What would you do with the time, do you think, if eventually you just, all your needs work just completely met tomorrow, you got a record deal that, like, you're freaking good for, like, 20 years?
1: For 20 years? Yeah, big deal. Big record deal. I I don't think that company exists anymore. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Okay. And then all I have to do is, like, write songs to fulfill that contract for 20 years.
0: Yeah, like, periodically, like, you're essentially what you have worked really hard at worked, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're not, you don't have to worry about, like, paying your bills, it's not infinite money, but, like, you're pretty much okay, eventually you're gonna have to, like, do another one, but, like, it's not next week, so you don't have to worry about, like, oh, God, I gotta set aside this time to do it, that kind of thing. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It'd be easier to answer this question if I knew that money were infinite.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a
0: great interview response.
1: (laughs) Well, so, okay, I was going to say, I'm not going to answer this question with how I would change my circumstances first, because that's the, like, if money is not an issue, then that's the first thing that I'm going to is yeah. getting myself into a more comfortable living situation. So let's just assume once those circumstances are changed and and ideal yeah. for me, right? Um, yeah, like you get enough money that you can shift into
0: whatever world you want to be in to yeah. be your best self. What would that self be doing?
1: Okay. Um, that self would be in the woods a lot. <sighs> and just like really taking the time to... Uh, I mean, I'm probably making art i'm probably like going revisiting old writing and trying to like polish stuff up and still focusing on putting out the next thing not necessarily to be a money-making venture but there are a lot of things that got put on the back burner over and over and over again Mm. when i was younger and some of them are probably trash if i really went back and looked at it hard enough and some of them are probably worth revisiting I think that's what that's the first thing that I would do. I would just clean up the the art junkyard, yeah, <laughs> on <laughs> any one of my hard drives and <laughs> go through what should just be ditched and and what should be revitalized. So there's that. But yeah, I would really make time for nature, which I don't do enough now. Mm. I would really make time for. I'd really make more time for reconnecting with with old friends and just like getting together and, and cooking for people. Yeah. like that's something that's really missing for me right now and it's not for the lack it's not for the lack of time. It's more that like I well, there's another topic that I wanted to bring up actually. <laughs> Eventually, we don't have to do it this time. but like I, I was saying on, on one of the humist, humanist meetings, a few weeks ago, like there is an amount of money that if I make it, I feel way more comfortable socially. And there's there's an amount of income where I don't necessarily worry anymore about like being asked if I want to go out to dinner or being asked to go out to a bar or something like that. Like if I don't have to do math in my head when somebody invites me to do something and I have to worry if I'm going to be okay with my bills, um, then like, I get like, that's where everyone wants to be at with their finances, but
0: like. I loved how you phrased that. I remember you saying that. Yeah. That's such, that's hit it on the head for me too.
1: Yeah. There's a certain degree of that comfortability that makes it easier for me to like chat with people because if, you know, if you're catching up with somebody and they say, what have you been up to? You don't want your answer to be struggling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's not ideal. And by the way, it's completely like a superficial insecurity that I have. You know, no one cares how much money you make. I don't know, though. I don't think it's a superficial. Like,
0: I'm not saying that it's like your essence is like how much money you make, but it's one of those things that everybody writes off like it's a nothing insecurity, but everybody has that insecurity a little bit. And like, it, the judgment is real. Yeah. Like, I feel that, too. Like, it, it isn't something that I you know, occupies me every day, like, thinking about, like, how much money or how little money I'm making. But it definitely, like, the pain that it causes when I'm around, like, people that I went to high school with is, that's real pain. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's something I think is worth validating sometimes that, like, it doesn't have to define you, but also realizing, like, yes, but this is a sort of a metric that society uses. Yeah. I don't know, that should factor into the calculus...
1: No, I definitely should. But I mean, to revisit the original question, I wouldn't do much. Yeah. Like, and not, like and I don't think that actually a lot would change. If money were an issue, I'm probably buying a lot of woodworking tools and finally learning how to use them. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I'm not, I wouldn't go too extravagant. Like, I wouldn't do much differently from what I do now. Yeah.
0: That's cool, though. I would cooler.
1: just feel more able to enjoy it. Yeah. I'd feel less pressure to enjoy it while I have the time to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it goes right back to that. Like, I wouldn't feel like I have to schedule free time as much, and therefore I could enjoy the free time.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way, honestly, about, like, just not having to get heart palpitations at the gas pump anymore. That's the best Uh, thing money can buy. (laughs) You know, just not having to watch those cents tick away. I'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't do another dollar. And then it happens again. Uh-huh. It's like, that's the stuff I would just want to get rid of. With the it's of the money. getting rough out there. <laughs> it's real bad right now, dude. But... <laughs> yeah. but that's like, it's true because it's like when people say that like the money doesn't matter and stuff, it's like, well, yeah, but the mm-hmm. access does. Like, the fact that I am choosing which social engagements I want to go to because I don't know if I can take another beating at mobile, like, that, yeah. that does impact me in a non-superficial way. And, yeah, if I, I would do the same thing, I think. Like, I would change maybe some very physical or, like, logistical circumstances of my life, but I wouldn't necessarily change a lot about what I'm doing with it. I would just say yes to more shit. I would stress a lot less about whether or not I was making the right call and but like I wouldn't worry if I was right every time I made a choice because I wouldn't yeah. care if I blew once in a while, like, you know, some opportunity or went to like a bad show, you know, that kind of stuff or like went on a bad vacation. That wouldn't matter as much. I felt like that for a while. That's that's kind of always been I check in on that every once in a while just to make sure that that's still like where I am, that there's nothing just catastrophically wrong with what I'm doing with my time. And mm-hmm. uh Yeah, it's always just how secure I feel in it. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's being threatened, but, like, the rest of it, I'm like, (laughs) I like this, so I want to keep doing this.
1: Well, and that's the advantage of that exercise, the listing what you do every day exercise, and that's the advantage that I'm finding in the routine thing, like, because especially if you're keeping your to-do list vague enough, like, your weekly goals vague enough in just, like, habits that you want to build yeah, then you can really show yourself that you have time for the things that you don't already feel like you have time for. Yeah, this app that I'm using is called Time cap. and it shows you the like how many weeks in a row you've succeeded or like how many shortcomings there have been mm. in the period that, since you set the goal. Um, so you can see it on the screen that like, okay, this many weeks I absolutely had the time to read for two hours every week. So there's no excuse not to read more. Yeah. Or with the other exercise, I absolutely see that every day for a week, I had the time to relax. So there's no excuse not to relax. Yeah. So like we're talking about all the things that we would enjoy if we didn't have to worry about the money and everything, but that's not to say that we can't enjoy them now. That's not to say that we can't schedule them into our lives now. It is to say that there would be a measured amount of pressure released from <laughs> when we can fit those things into the schedule. You know, yeah. like absolutely, that would be great. But what I'm really finding with with having built-in routines to my week is that I don't have an excuse not to do these things that do bring me some amount of fulfillment. Yeah, We'll find in time how much fulfillment they are actually bringing and whether it's worth it to keep that number as high as it is. Yeah. I need to be exercising 2 hours a week. But those other ones like if I'm not actually picking up the guitar that often, then maybe I don't need to pick it up for 2 hours a week. Maybe I don't need to read for 2 hours a week, but that is keeping me from looking at computer screens before bed. So like yeah. that is a measured advantage. But primarily I'm just I'm taking note of how much I really do have time for that I usually don't feel like I have time for. Yeah. Because if I have to schedule it into what I'm already doing, I internalize that as I don't have time to do it. Like if I have to yeah. write it down, it's apart from what I'm already doing. Yeah. And so it's like too separate from my, I hesitate to say routine, but like from my day to day MO. But that's the importance, I think, of watching it as closely, like you're,
0: you know, as you're yeah. doing, like kind of examining what stuff is working, what stuff isn't, what stuff feels good. Cause, Eventually, I mean, it's, if it's not working, you'll default back to some path of least resistance, just like everybody does. Like at a certain point, those things go slack. But if you can work on like improving what that path of least resistance is, mm-hmm. then it gets marginally better over time. And that's that absolutely counts. Yeah. And that coupled with like placing a little bit of trust in the fact that like you will get bored. For, yeah. So if that progress doesn't seem like it's—like if the, you know, goal C doesn't seem like it's attainable, but goal A is like, oh, I, that's just sitting there. I could do that. Then, like, grab that one real tight and do that for a while when you just look at it one day and you're like, I am getting nothing from this. Mm-hmm. Like, this doesn't even make me feel anything anymore. Then try B. Mm-hmm. You know, the time's already carved out. The feeling is already there. The muscle memory's already there. Like, once something is a habit, you'll you'll do it half automatically, and then you'll just kind of— Eventually, look back and be like, "Oh shit!" Like, yeah. I'm just doing this thing that I thought I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So, so, I think there's a lot to be gained from just trusting some of those, those baser things, mm-hmm. and not feeling like a routine has to be monastic. Like, yeah. it you don't have to be like an aesthetic. Like, you can gamify stuff. There's this thing called temptation bundling that I read about or learned about a while back. That mm-hmm. you just take the thing that's like the quote-unquote good thing. Mm. that you're trying to do and you couple it with the quote-unquote vice that you are trying to shake or the vice you're slightly ashamed of or whatever it is, and you just let it hitch a ride. And eventually it kind of becomes a habit and it might start to overshadow the vice or at the very least you do it every day because you do the vice every day. Ah. So like something, it works really great like if you smoke cigarettes or something because it's like you're physically addicted to that good thing now. Yeah. If you couple it with every time you have a smoke, you have to, I don't know, read a book. Then guess what? You're reading 20 (laughs) times a day if you're a real bad smoker. (laughs) So like
1: all of a sudden, hey, you're a reader. All right. But then you go like, all right, I got to do the dishes. Should Should I smoke a cigarette while I do the dishes? But then the cigarette gets wet and it goes out every time and ends up all <laughs> soggy and everything falls apart on you. And then, like, do you end up still doing the dishes but without the cigarette? Or do you end up quitting smoking? because You got you so switch to chewing tobacco. Ah, yes, you do. And then you you're do. ten yeah. times as cool. <laughs> <laughs> and your dishes are done. Yeah. <laughs> Problem solved, dude. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But what I'm also keeping in mind is that, like, I am very much in the trial stage of this, and there are habits that I want to build that I'm sure I'll get into later. Right now, I'm kind of still experimenting with, like, how does it feel to keep track of my time in the way that I'm doing right now? Is there a better way to do it Mm. Um, using this app or whatever else I choose to do in, in building new habits and setting new goals and engaging in routine and again, I'm finding it to be very helpful, but I'm gonna, I'm sure that I will make slight adjustments along the way and just sort of see what works better and what doesn't serve me so well. And like what my particular brain responds to better or worse. And cause that's another thing we haven't really covered is like, how do you perceive or, or receive the reward of routine? Hmm. And, like, it varies from brain to brain, from individual yeah. to individual. And, like, what is the reward that you're actually getting? And if it's something as small as it pops up at a, as a, on a screen, success or whatever. Yeah. Like, is that enough of a dopamine hit for you to <laughs> keep doing the thing <laughs> week after week? Because that's yeah. a pretty low bar.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it works sometimes. That's, like, yeah. the whole idea that everything's being gamified. Like, yeah. Like, Duolingo was a big one with that. There's a lot of, like, fitness apps and things that do that. Like, diet apps do that. Like, it's everywhere now. And it gets a bad rap because it seems so, like, slack compared to, you know, the people that are waking up at four in the morning and going out and conquering. But, like, who cares? If you're doing it, you're doing it. Yeah. Like, if that's where your bar is, then all power to you. And, like, if your bar stops being there, try to catch that, you know, and, like, try to figure out where the hell it is now yeah but i don't know i think there's a lot of this stuff it's like it doesn't have to be dignified like your start to a routine or a habit or something doesn't have to be dignified or elegant or orderly like just hurl yourself into it if that's what it takes or trick yourself into it if that's what it takes yeah but just start doing the thing that you want to be doing by any means necessary and then keep checking in with it and keep doing audits and Either you'll be striding your way to it or you'll be scrapping your way to it, but you're not sitting still.
1: And that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production. And to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. And if you have any questions or comments, you can direct them to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. The two voices you heard at the beginning of this episode were Ian Garland and Trevor Sullivan. That was an outtake from our episode on workaholism. Make sure you listen to that if you haven't yet. And we'll be back in two weeks with special guest Andy O to discuss the mindset that it takes to keep chasing the dream. Until then.